This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you in part by American Underdog from Lionsgate and the team that brought you I Can Only Imagine, based on the true story of championship-winning quarterback Kurt Warner. American Underdog, rated PG. Parental guidance suggested in theaters everywhere Christmas Day. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Thank you so much for joining us again. Dr. Billy Graham once said, Communism is a religion that is inspired, directed, and motivated by the devil himself who has declared war against Almighty God. A very accurate assessment, but perhaps even more accurate than many people understand. Because when you delve into the life and the writings of the father of communism, Karl Marx, it quickly becomes apparent how much the father of lies really did have to do with Marx's evil legacy and how evident that still is today. So we're going to talk about it this hour with Dr. Paul Kangor, who is Professor of Political Science at Grove City College. He is also Senior Director and Chief Academic Fellow at the College's Institute for Faith and Freedom, Senior Editor and Columnist for the American Spectator, and author of many great books, including really a fantastic title he's just come out with called The Devil and Karl Marx. Dr. Kangor, wonderful to have you here. How are you doing? Good, Janet. Very good. Hey, I wish I would have had that quote from Billy Graham. It's <laughs> wow, a good one. It. I remembered yeah. it very vaguely, yeah. and I said, I have to remember the exact wording of that, because I remember him vaguely saying that. But it's true, isn't it? Karl Marx, it boy, he sure liked telling the devil, that's for sure. He did. He, he wrote about it. He was he, kind of an obsession with it, frankly. It, it dominates a lot of his poetry, his plays. He wrote this, this chilling play called Ulanem which is spelled O-U-L-A-N-E-M, which is an anagram for Emmanuel. Mm. You know, Emmanuel meaning, you know, Emmanuel, Christ with us of the Bible, of, of the New Testament. And the, the Reverend Richard uh, Wormbrand, who, who Billy Graham knew, he wrote the book Tortured for Christ, and, and he also wrote a book called Marx and Satan. That was, I think, back in the mid-1980s that Wormbrand wrote that. And he said that, that Marx here is using a directly Satanist anagram for Emmanuel. And I don't know if I could say that it's you know, directly Satanist or not, but, but there's no question that that's one of many examples in Marx's writings and plays and poems where, he, where he's inverting holy names, where he's, where he's mocking God, where he's aping God, where he's taking the form or having his characters take the form of the devil, to, um, you know, to do something really, really dark and foreboding. Yeah, for sure. But this is a man who was born in what you describe as, you know, a pious Catholic town. His family was Jewish. They later converted to Lutheranism. How was it that Karl Marx turned into a guy who was writing things like his soul was chosen for hell? (laughs) Isn't that something? Yeah, that's, I think, his 1837 poem where he said, uh, my soul once true to God, uh, thus heaven I've forfeited, I know it full well. My soul once true to God is chosen for hell. Mm. I mean, imagine that. Mm. And, and I think that, Janet, is kind of autobiographical in, in his case, because, yeah, his soul was once true to God. It was something that he forfeited, that he chose to reject. I don't know if I would say it was chosen for hell, right? That'd be something altogether different. Yeah. But, but he certainly chose to reject God. They, he was born May 5th, 1818, in the city of Trier, Germany, 
which is one of the most religious cities in all of Germany. In fact, the, the great Gothic cathedral of Trier is there. It was, it was built by Helena. Mm-hmm. <laughs> St. Saint Helena, the, the mother of Constantine, right. of all things. You know, Constantine, the, the great early Roman defender of, of Christians, he's actually canonized in the Eastern Orthodox Church, I think the Russian Orthodox Church as well. And she, she built that cathedral around the year 330. She made this famous pilgrimage to the Holy Land where among the relics that she brought back, it's believed that, that the crown of thorns, which is today in Notre Dame in Paris, she brought that back. And she also brought back the holy robe or holy coat of Jesus, which was the, the robe, the, the, the seamless garment that he wore on the way to the crucifixion, that the Roman soldiers cast lots for at the, at the base of the cross. Mm-hmm. And, and so she, that is, that's there at that cathedral, and marks in one of his chilling demonic poems, plays, it's called The Player, has this violinist who's, who, who, who's like sawing on this violin. In fact, the, that place says, see this sword, this blood-dark sword, which stabs unerringly within thy soul. The hellish vapors rise and fill the brain till I go mad and my heart is utterly changed. Is, see, see this sword, the prince of darkness sold it to me. <laughs> and, and, and while he's saying that, he's wearing the holy robe. He's wearing the holy robe of Jesus. Marx has him wearing that holy robe. And I quote Marx and his wife, who was an atheist too, making fun of pilgrims, you know, coming there to, to, to see the robe, to, to see the artifact in the, in the mid-1800s. So, yeah, he, he grew up in the shadow of that cathedral. And by the time he went off to college, and, and really, that's that's the key. College, yes. <laughs> nothing's changed, right? <laughs> like like two two hundred years. He he goes to college and he takes a, a theology course. And here too, nothing's changed. Yeah. it's taught by an atheist of of, of all things, um, a professor named Bruno Bauer, who was also rapidly anti-Semitic. And it was there that Marx rejected his Christian faith and made a kind of a dark turn to atheism from from which he never turned back and only got worse. Uh, well, you're right about all of those things. And and wasn't this the same one, this Bauer who got drunk with Marx and they laughed in church and then they rented these donkeys to parody the entrance of Christ into Jerusalem? So there was a mockery of religion yeah. going on very early on in Marx's life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good memory. You you nailed that. That's That's exactly right. I mean, imagine... So they, they get donkeys, and it's on Palm Sunday, and they ride into this town and get drunk, and they're laughing, and, and they, they parody the entrance of Christ going into Jerusalem. Yes. One of their contemporaries said, you know, uh, pity the day that, that, the, that these three, Marx and some of his associates, get, to, get together. You know, they'll kick God and all the angels out of heaven. And and it was it was Marx and Bruno Bauer that professor. They started a journal called the Archives of Atheism. Wow. So so they were off and running. That was by the late 1830s, and by the early 1840s, he's writing more poems, writing more plays, and and he also wrote his 
infamous opiate of the masses essay at, at that time as well. Right, right. And I want to get into that a little bit because you point out that the sentence before that famous line actually is quite important. And I want to say that for a second. Another atheist ally that you mentioned, though, in the book was Mikhail Bakunin. This is this anarchist. A lot of people know him as an anarchist. He was an atheist. What kind of role did he play in shaping Marx's worldview? Yeah, it's a good question, and, and, he, and he's somebody that everybody forgets about. He, he was a 19th century Russian atheist, revolutionary, and, uh, and get a socialist anarchist, right? Try to make sense out of that, right? <laughs> and in, in fact, if they, that, that even confused Marx. <laughs> I'll bet, yeah. <laughs> Marx is saying to Engels, he's like, well, I, I, I appreciate the, the atheism part, but how can you be a socialist and an anarchist? How can you be for big government and no government? Yeah. So even Marx was confused by that. And they, they were good friends, he and Bakunin, but they eventually split over what, what Bakunin card called uh, Marx's habitual weapon, a heap of filth, mm. because, because Marx eventually just fulminated with rage against everybody and you know, hurled invective, all sorts of names at him. And, and Bakunin's best-known work, which, which very much reflected Marx's thinking about religion, it was called God and the State. And, and he wrote in there that if God really existed, it would be necessary to abolish him. Now, think about that, right? Uh-huh. If God really existed, it would be necessary to abolish him. And, and, and yet, Bakunin, though he has this really nasty vision of God and religion and, and Christianity, in fact, he referred to Jehovah as the most, the most jealous, vain, ferocious, bloodthirsty, despotic, you know, most hostile to human dignity and liberty, this awful stuff. But but the one guy that he appreciated was Satan, and, <laughs> and, and yeah, and he, yeah, and he hailed Satan as as the the eternal rebel, the the first free thinker and the emancipator of worlds. Isn't that interesting? We're going to have to pause very quickly. Dr. Paul Kangor is with us. The Devil and Karl Marx is his book. We'll come right back to it on Janet Meffer today. From Lionsgate and the team that brought you I Can Only Imagine comes American Underdog. Undrafted out of college, quarterback Kurt Warner found himself stocking grocery shelves while trying to hold on to his dream to play in the NFL. I have been working for this my entire life. God is going to do something great with you. Based on the true story, American Underdog. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. In theaters everywhere Christmas Day. More information is available at AmericanUnderdogInspires.com. If you're looking for adventure, serving as a volunteer on the Mercy Ship is an adventure like no other. And you'll be serving on the largest non-governmental hospital ship in the world, providing free care to some of the world's poorest people. Whether it's performing a surgery, cleaning the deck, or transporting a patient to a recovery center, every day you'll be making a difference in the lives of struggling people. Begin your adventure today. Connect with us at mercyships.org. It's an adventure of a lifetime. Maybe I can just have my baby. It don't matter what nobody said. 
This is the end of the story of a young mom who planned to end her pregnancy but chose life after visiting a preborn center. Preborn steps into the lives of hurting young women who are being told that a preborn baby is not a life. Preborn is the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the country and the direct answer to Planned Parenthood, helping young moms choose life. I feel like it was meant for me to have this baby. This is something God gave me for a reason. You can be a part of choosing life with young hurting women across the country. Would you join with Preborn and Janet Mefford today to help save 400 babies by the end of the year? For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds and help save five babies from abortion. And now, through a match, your gift of $140 will actually help save 10 babies instead of five. All gifts are tax deductible. To donate, dial 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. 855-402-2229. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Welcome back. I think it's entirely accurate to say that communism's satanic and from the pit. And we use that kind of language all the time, as would more than 100 million people over the course of history who have lost their lives under communism. But it's very interesting to go back and to read some of the poetry and the plays and some of the writings of the father of communism, Karl Marx, to see exactly how much hell did have to do with communism going all the way back and stretching into our own day. The Devil and Karl Marx is the new book from Dr. Paul Kengor, who's joining us this hour. You were mentioning one of the mentors, atheist ally to Marx, this Mikhail Bakunin, this socialist anarchist, saying if God really existed, it would be necessary to abolish him, hailed Satan, hated the Lord, called Satan the eternal rebel, the first freethinker, as you mentioned before, kind of like an early version of Saul Alinsky. Isn't that interesting that that same hailing of Satan continues on into our own days? Yeah, right on. You absolutely nailed it. And I, I cover Saul Alinsky in this book as well. And in fact, probably the book should be called The Devil and Communism, because I have probably about 120, 140 pages on Marx, and then I go into a bunch, a whole bunch of other characters. And yes, Saul Alinsky, in that opening acknowledgement in his most famous, infamous book, Rules, Rules for Radicals, he acknowledges Satan. Lucifer, and, and he refers to him there as the very first radical who rebelled against the establishment. Right. And, and, the, and the exact quote is, lest we forget at least an over-the-shoulder acknowledgement to the very first radical, the first radical known to man who rebelled against the establishment and did it so effectively that he won his own kingdom, Lucifer. <laughs> so, so that view, I know that that's shocking to people today, and it should be, it is shocking, but there's actually a tradition of that among socialists. You run a straight line from Mikhail Bakunin from about the 1860s, 1870s, right to Saul Alinsky, 1960s and 1970s. And you know, a lot of these people, they, they, it's, it's, it's strange, Aunt Janet. It, it, it's, sometimes they think it's cute, right? Yeah. Sometimes they think it's playful. Like, like, you know, they can just, uh, you know, kind of, oh, let me make an acknowledgement here to Lucifer. Wink, wink, right? Yeah. Yes. Big grin. Yes. And, and, you know, this is, they're literally playing with fire. This is not, nothing to mess around with. And, it, and in the case of Karl Marx, it could have been even worse than that. I, I quote in the book his, his, probably his best biographer, Robert Payne, who was um, no right-winger. I don't even know if he was much of an anti-communist. He was this, this British professor, man of arts and letters, theater critic, translator. And he wrote probably the best biography of Marx back in 1968 for Simon & Schuster. I think it was a bestseller. 
and and he he had a chapter in that biography biography called the demons and and he said it did seem at times as if marx was possessed by demons wow he he said he had the devil's malignity the devil's view of the world and it seemed at times like marx knew that he was doing works of evil uh now wormbrand goes even further <laughs> right yeah. uh but I, I mean, I, I say in the book, look, I, I, I do not know if Karl Marx was possessed. I, I mean, I, yeah, I have no idea. But, but when, when, you, when you read the accounts of contemporaries, uh, I, I mean, even Engels referred to him as the monster of 10,000 devils, mm. of all things, mm. which is something everybody ought to know, yes. frankly, yes. that Engels even said that. That was his friend. But, Think what his enemies thought. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, oh. His friend. His, his, his father... In a in a really kind of um, you know, touching yet hurtful uh, letter, kind of tortured letter, March second, eighteen thirty seven, I think it was. Heinrich Marx, the father, remained a Christian, uh, remained a believer, and and he asked me, said, "You know, Carl, there's there's something in your heart. There's there's something bothering your heart. Is 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 that heart of yours governed by a demon?" Hmm. He asked, hmm. and and if so, is it Faustian? Is, is it is it and, and Faust refers to Goethe's Faust with the famous infamous demon devil character Mephistopheles who sells his soul right. to Satan and that was Marx's favorite. Mm. Marx could recite and even the people said said Marx would chant lines from Mephistopheles and his favorite. Now think about this. Marx's favorite line was, everything that exists deserves to perish. Everything that exists deserves to perish. I mean, me and you, Janet, people listening, someone would say, hey, get, give me your favorite line. We'd you know, quote a scripture verse, yeah. right? Or, sure. or you know, quote, um, you know, quote something, uh, you know, I, I looked to the road, I took the road that uh, led the other way, right? The, uh, the, the road not taken, right? That quote. Or, or be not afraid, something like that. Could you imagine saying, oh, yes, my favorite line, everything that exists deserves to perish, Mephistopheles. <laughs> he, he, he sounds like he belongs in Portland. I mean... <laughs> yeah, right, right. Well, well you, you know, there, there's something to be said for that. I, I've been asked a number of times in interviews on this book, is, is, is there any connection between Marx and some of these Marxists and revolutionaries in the streets today? And I'd say, yeah, the whole sort of tear-down mentality, um, burn it down, the idea that there's anything loving about Marxism. No, Marx wanted to burn down the house, right. and, and he has many of his characters standing there in the embers, in the ashes, fist in the air, saying, oh, yes, now we can begin the world anew. So oftentimes, including with the people in the streets today, you don't even know what the end goal is, other than that they just want to burn down the building. That's it. Yes, destroy, which is kind of the heart and soul of communism. You know, you're not really, right. you're not building a utopia, and you know, you the legacy speaks for itself. You know, going back to this very famous line from Marx, I, I really appreciate too. By the way, it's such a great book, but you have so many great Thanks. excerpts where people can read in context this stuff that Marx wrote and read for themselves how utterly creepy and evil he was. But here was this line that people know: it is the opium of the people. That is, Marx is referring to religion. But the sentence before it is you 
say really is the money line where he says religion is the sigh of the oppressed creature, the heart of a heartless world and the soul of soulless conditions. It is the opium of the people. That money line, why does that matter so much for people to understand the context of the opium line? Yeah, I, I had a conversation with a conservative professor about a couple years ago who said, yeah, look, I understand what Marx is getting at in that essay. You know, religion, opiate of the masses, you know, for a lot of people, it's a crutch, right? It's, it's kind of a drug. And he said, you know, we as conservative Christians, we believe it's real, right? But, but you know, people lean on religion. So that's what Marx is getting at. And I said, no, 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 no. Read the whole essay. Yeah. Uh, you, know, the, you know, that opiate of the masses line is within the context of this really dark view of religion. Yeah, the sigh of the oppressed creature, the, the heart of heartless conditions, the soul of the soulless world. I, and, and he also has a line in there where, where he says that the criticism of religion is the beginning of all criticism. Right. And and that that's actually kind of profound there, Janet. I mean, he's, in a way, he's kind of nailed that yeah. one. He gets it, right? Uh, the criticism of religion is the beginning of all criticism. He realized that if you wanted to take it down, if you wanted to burn down the house, if you wanted to fundamentally remake man or transform the old order, you had to take the axe to that Judeo-Christian foundation. That's right. Right? You had to take out God, which is why Bakunin said, you know, if God really did exist, it'd be necessary to abolish him. Ugh, um, yeah, that, yeah the, these men, in order to create their godless, materialist, atheistic, communist uh, world, they had to take out religion, which is why Marx said, communism begins where atheism begins. <laughs> and, and, and I run into young Christians today who say, oh, we can learn a lot from communism. Uh. Right? I could see being a Christian communist. Really? Marx couldn't. Um, Engels couldn't. Those guys would have told you, are you out of your mind? You can't be a Christian or a communist. The two are incompatible. Yeah, the ignorance is astounding. And, and, you know, I really appreciated all of the stuff that you said about Marx's personal life. He was a slob. I, I think that's a good description. He didn't like to bathe. He had boils. He was horrible as a family man. In fact, said, blessed is he who has no family. He didn't provide or work for his family. His wife was miserable. He had, you know, kids die due to his own failure to provide. Two of his daughters died by suicide. This guy's life was a train wreck. And the important point that you make is out of the train wreck of his own life, of course, we're going to see a train wreck of a philosophy. Those things are tied together, aren't they? That's right. They absolutely are. And, and he said, there's not a day that doesn't go by that my wife doesn't wish that she was in her grave with the children. Yes. And, and, and both his wife and his mother said, Carl, would you please stop writing about capital and start earning some capital? <laughs> I mean, they were, yeah, they were broke. They were, they were cold. They were hungry. They would go everywhere begging for, you know, once they, they ran out of the inheritance of Marx's father, his mother, and all, all he wanted from his parents was their money, especially his mother. And then he sent his, his wife, Jenny. She, she went out begging for money. And they would have completely flopped if it wasn't for Ingalls and the inheritance that he got from, from his wealthy, uh, capitalist, conservative Christian father. And then the audacity of these guys in their 10-point plan in the manifesto to call for abolition of all right of inheritance. <laughs> Right? <laughs> Gee, guys, that's that's the only reason you have any money is is, is inheritance. That's right. That's uh, right. And yeah, they, they but they um, 
he was he, he was a slob he was a he was a terrible family man and and you noted too correctly two of marx's daughters committed suicide in suicide packs with their husband awful i i mean name any other figure in all of history where, where, where that happened i can't name any i probably find families where maybe two daughters committed suicide but but in suicide packs with their husbands yeah. i mean marx broke the mold he did. What a failure on every level. I mean, what a legacy. It's an evil, evil, demonic legacy. And it comes out in his personal life, in his writings. And we see what has been wrought out of this rotten philosophy that he dreamt up and it really unleashed on the world with the help of the father of lies. We're going to come back. Dr. Paul Kangor, the devil, and Karl Marx. Stay with us. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you in part by American Underdog from Lionsgate and the team that brought you I Can Only Imagine, based on the true story of championship-winning quarterback Kurt Warner. American Underdog, rated PG. Parental guidance suggested in theaters everywhere Christmas Day. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Well, this is a fantastic book we're talking about this hour called The Devil and Karl Marx, Communism's Long March of Death, Deception and Infiltration, written by Dr. Paul Kangor, professor of political science at Grove City College and just such an expert on communism. I love every single thing you write, Dr. Kangor, and this one is no exception. This is so important for people to understand the the fascination that hell and the devil held for Karl Marx and, and the fruit of his life was absolutely evil. And of course, by the time you get to the Bolshevik Revolution, Lenin was, you know, kind of bearing fruit in line with Marx, wasn't he? Atheism and the hatred of Christianity, on it went. Yeah, he was probably even more hateful than, than Karl Marx. I mean, Marx at least had kind of a mordant, sarcastic sense of humor, which is sometimes it makes it difficult in trying to figure out exactly what he's trying to say. But, but, but Lenin was just this little vitriolic hatchet man filled with hate. And Lenin referred to religion, he said, all worship of a divinity is a necrophilia. Oh. There is nothing more abominable than religion. And he, he said, I took off my cross from my neck as a teen, and I threw it in the rubbish bin. So he, and he literally went after churches and, and clergy and priests and nuns and the Russian Orthodox Church blew up churches, you know, sent, sent, them off to, sent the clergy off to gulags. Nuns were put in special sections of the gulag with prostitutes. They were deemed whores to Christ. Mm-hmm. He was, um, yeah, he was a vicious, hateful little man. And, and, and so was Trotsky, so was Stalin. And a, and, a, and a big part of this, I spend a pretty good amount of time in this in the book, is, is how evolution fueled a lot of the thoughts of these guys. Trotsky, Marx, Engels. Marx and Engels were, were proud evolutionists, and that explains a lot of, the, a lot of their racism. <laughs> uh, Marx, was, Marx was very, very racist. So was Engels. They used the N-word all the time, and they, they believed that, that black people were lower on the evolutionary scale than white people. If, right. if there was any justice by today's left in the cancel culture, they'd be canceling Karl Marx. Right. 
of, right. of, of, of all things. I mean, you, anybody, that they, anybody out there that they're trying to cancel right now cannot hold a candle to Marx <laughs> when, it, when it comes to Marx's offensive views on, on everything from Jews to women to blacks. Yeah, that's so true. Or you think of Sanger too, Margaret Sanger. I mean, total yeah. racist, eugenicist, and you know, oh no, no, we love abortion, so we're just going to overlook Margaret Sanger. They're they're nothing if not completely inconsistent in the modern right. left. <laughs> that's yeah. for sure. I and this is so important. You were mentioning before your encounter with somebody who said, "Oh yeah, I'm a Christian, but I can totally understand communism." And you made the important point that Marx certainly wouldn't have agreed with you, and neither would Lenin or Trotsky or any of the rest of these uh, angles or any of them. But you know, it's interesting how we have seen this merging throughout the last 100 years, at least, you know, of Marxism and Christianity in the West. I mean, we've seen, for example, liberation theology rising up in Latin America, and then it kind of came here, and we see what's going on. And And I was thinking about a previous book that you wrote on the alliance of President Reagan and Margaret Thatcher and Pope John Paul II is key to fighting during the Cold War and, you know, the fall of communism in 1991 really being uh, very much attributed to their work in that regard. But now we've got professing, not only professing Protestants and even evangelicals embracing Marxism to some degree, but also Pope Francis himself being accused of being a Marxist or at least embracing some Marxist philosophy. How is hap- how is this whole thing striking you, knowing the history of communism as you do? I know it's absurd. In fact, the, the leading Jesuit publication in the United States, and you know, the Jesuits are very liberal Catholics. I mean, they, they were doing the liberation theology nonsense in Latin America in the 70s and 80s. But, but they, they, their publication is called America Magazine, and in July 2019, they ran a piece called The Catholic Case for Communism. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember when I first got the email on that, it was from, a, from a, a leading Catholic talk show host. And he said, could you please come on my show now and talk about this? <laughs> and and I, I, just, I just couldn't believe it. Mm-hmm. it I, I, I mean, Janet, that, that could have literally gotten them excommunicated under you know, Pius XII's papal decree in 1949. And, and, and the editor of the publication ran this accompanying piece on why we published this piece. And it was kind of saying, well, we think all views should be heard, you know, that kind of thing. I, 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 no, I, I mean, this is completely antithetical. I mean, the Catholic Church called communism a satanic scourge created by the sons of darkness. The Church actually teaches that you know, this is an ideology out of the pit of hell, <laughs> of, of, of all things. And, and, and how it could get to this, I, I think in part, a partial explanation to it, probably the longest section in this book, it's, it's part four, is on the infiltration of churches. Yes. And the American Communist Party went hard after the mainline denominations in the 1920s, 1930s. They offered what Earl Browder, the head of Communist Party USA, called the outstretched hand to the Catholic Church, which... Thank God for people like Fulton Sheen, who, who, who you know, slapped his hand and, and told him no. But, but, but they had some success, no question about it. And among the mainline denominations, they had some notable success among the Episcopal Church, the United Methodist Church, and, and what became Presbyterian Church USA. Uh, I, in, in the book, I have this awful, hideous quote from Earl Browder, Communist Party USA's general secretary, he was speaking to Union Theological Seminary, which is still a very liberal seminary, and, and February 1935, and he said, you may be interested in knowing that we have preachers, preachers,
preachers active in churches who are actual members of Communist Party USA. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and that's shocking, Janet. I, I mean, I know that there were liberal preachers that were duped and misled, but to have someone who are actual members of Communist Party USA, even Browder and William Z. Foster and these other guys would say, yeah, if you're a Christian, I, I guess you can join the party, but you must be in the process of liquidating your religious superstitions, Good right? Because um, we will have no use for you if, if, if you're a believer. So the fact that there could be actual clergy who were party members, that's pretty shocking. That is shocking. And yet now we've not only seen this stuff infiltrate the main line and Catholic seminaries, but now we're starting to hear some of this garbage in evangelicalism, which to my way of thinking is a rather new development. To what do you attribute this? Yeah, in evangelicalism, this sort of woke um, sort of social justice movement. Yes. And, and that's, that's a big part of it. Um, I have Patrice uh, Culler's book right here. She's the founder of Black Lives Matter. And, you know, she's the one who, she said, myself and Alicia, Alicia Garza, the two founders of Black Lives Matter, we are trained Marxists. Mm-hmm. She said, that's our ideological framework. We are super-versed in ideological theories. And right here, I've got the page uh, marked <laughs> with a bookmark that has a crucifixion of Christ. Look at that. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but but, but she, she writes here, we spend a year... I read, I studied, um, adding Mao, Marx, and Lenin to my knowledge of books. We spent a year studying Marx, and this is in the page, and this happened in what she calls her, quote, social justice camp, her social justice camp. So what's happened is a lot of liberal Christians, under this sort of rubric of social justice, have gone for a kind of a form of soft socialism, that, that has, has brought them into this world, into this orbit. And it's a shame because social justice in the classic sense of the term, you know, like Leo XIII, Rerum Novarum, you know, his, his encyclical on socialism, you know, social justice, there's a lady in my church, she wears a shirt every time we go down to the March for Life in Washington, it says social justice begins in the womb, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's, it, that's what it, it means, that kind of stuff, treating mm-hmm. people with human dignity. It, it shouldn't be a, a, a metaphor or a substitute for socialism, but, but, that, but that's what it's become to a lot of sort of uh, woke religious left Christians. Well, and, and if people understood all of this in the broader context, not just of the last 50 years, for example, when the social justice, liberation theology stuff was coming into mainline Protestantism, uh, if they understood the longer legacy going all the way back to Karl Marx, I think that would go a long way toward waking at least some of them up, or at least we would pray that would be the case. We're going to pause for one more break. The Devil and Karl Marx is the book by Dr. Paul Kangor. We'll be right back on Janet for today.
This is Janet Mefford for Bible League International. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. These words written early in John's Gospel remind us in this Advent season that God sent His Son to be our Lord and Savior. But many Christians in Asia, Africa, Latin America, and the Middle East have never read those words or the Christmas story in Luke 2. Why? Because they have no access to the Bible. So in this season of giving, please join Bible League in sending God's Word to bible believers around the world for only $5 or $50 for 10 Bibles, $500 for 100. Call 800-YESWORD. That's 800-YES-WORD. Or there's a Bible League banner at JanetMefford.com. I've seen people being changed by reading the scripture. There are those who have been looking for the scripture for a number of years. Giving a Bible to somebody is the greatest gift you can give somebody in life. That's 800-YESWORD. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Every day, babies in their mother's wombs are fighting for life, with abortion being the leading cause of death. I already had my mind made up. I was like, I'm going to go through with it. The Ministry of Preborn has pregnancy centers nationwide standing by to help young moms in crisis choose life. Preborn is the largest provider of free ultrasound sessions in the country. By letting a mother see her baby in the womb and hear the baby's heartbeat, she's 80% more likely to choose life for her baby. When I'm sitting there, the lady is giving me my ultrasound. She's like making these weird faces. She's like, it's two. I just start crying. I can't. And sometimes the blessing is doubled. Would you join with Preborn and Janet Mefford today to help save 400 babies by the end of the year? For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds and help save five babies from abortion. And now through a match, your gift will be doubled. To donate, dial 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Welcome back. Thanks for being with us. And we are so grateful to have back on the show Dr. Paul Kangor from Grove City College. His latest book, The Devil and Karl Marx, really shows how evil communism is. And we knew it already. But when you look at some of what Karl Marx wrote about hell and about the devil, and then you see how it all went on in history and more people, Marx, uh, beyond Marx, Engels and Trotsky and Lenin and on and on and on, kind of picked up on this whole occultic theme. And there's a reason for it. The father of lies very much has everything to do with communism. And we were talking a little bit about the infiltration of churches. I know a lot of Catholics have written on the issue of the seminaries being infiltrated, and now evangelicals are talking about this kind of thing. But you hit on something, Dr. Kangor, in your book that I really want to get to before we run out of time, and it's this. When Barack Obama became president and talked about fundamentally transforming America and how shocked everybody was, wait a minute, that's not what we elected you to do, or they elected you to do. But what happened under Obama was not the ushering in of communism, per se, but the transformation that did occur was in the area of family and marriage and sexuality. We got the Obergefell decision, the supposed redefinition of marriage. We got the transgender madness. And it's we don't know where it's all going to stop. And this gets to the issue of cultural Marxism and how we soften up a culture, as it were, to accept Marxism. I mean, what comment on this, if you would, that the softening up of America to be OK with Marxism because of the breakdown of the culture through Marxist principles uh, in the area of sexuality. Yeah, and it goes way back. I mean, people are always shocked to see this, Janet. I've had students read the Communist Manifesto. And they'll say, whoa, I didn't know this was in here. 
uh, lines like abolition of the family, exclamation mark, even the most radical flare up of this infamous proposal of the communists. So Marx and Engels in 1848 could already refer to abolition of the family as an infamous proposal of the communists. And if you go back and you read statements like um, Pius IX's encyclical Qui Pluribus in 1846, two years before the manifesto was published, saying that communism will not only abolish private property, but will destroy families and marriage. And you think to yourself, really? Where's that coming from, mm, right? Mm. Well, well, it, it, it was there. They were already, they were already infamous for it. It's why uh, some of the material you noted earlier on Marx being a slob, we get that information from Prussian police spy reports because, because the Prussian government was spying on Marx because the guy's views were so radical. Uh, his cultural views were so crazy that this guy was seen as a public menace, right? You, you, can't, you can't go and do what these guys are proposing to do. Now, now he would have never thought of something like same-sex marriage, right? I mean, I mean even any day other than our own, you know, they would have put you in a straitjacket <laughs> if you were talking about that in the 1800s. Uh, so they, but, but there's a kind of a chipping away at the, at the Judeo-Christian, biblical, natural law focus belief of, of marriage between a man and a woman. It, it doesn't, you know, that Obergefell doesn't just happen overnight, right? No. I, I mean, you needed, you needed centuries and decades of people hammering away at it. And the real big break that, that I cover in this book, too, comes with um, communists like Wilhelm Reich, the Freudian Marxist, who wrote the book The Sexual Revolution <laughs> in the 1930s. He, he coined the term, The Sexual Revolution. Kate Millett in the 1960s, who wrote Sexual Politics. She was on the cover of Time magazine, which called her the Mao tongue of the women's movement, of all things. Mm. Um, Herbert Marcuse, the Frankfurt School, they started applying their Marxism to culture, to sexuality. And, and that's the really big change. And, and I, I first started seeing support for same-sex marriage, and actually this acronym, LGBTQIA+. I first saw that in People's World, which is the successor to the Daily Worker in the early 2000s. Oh, and I remember thinking, what, what does this even mean? Huh. IA plus? Yes. And you know, the I turned out to be for intersex, A for asexual, and they put the plus on there to basically cover you know, where we are today. The BBC says there are now over 100 different gender options, <laughs> right? So you just, add, just put the plus on there, and that'll kind of cover everything. Yes. But, but, they, but they were way out ahead of, of the progressive liberal left on these issues. They, they were for same-sex marriage at the Daily Worker um, long before Obama uh, changed in 2012, long before Hillary, who called herself an old-fashioned Methodist, <laughs> before she changed right after the 2012 presidential election. Um, yeah, for them, this is about breaking down those, those barriers. As, as, as Marx and Engels, Engels said, communism represents the most radical rupture in traditional relations. Isn't that amazing? And Engels, too, too um, he was the one who was shacking up, right, and didn't want to marry, and he, he didn't exactly have great sexual morals either. Right. No, he just, he just in fact, a uh, couple of the women that he lived with pleaded with him, you know, would you please marry me? And he refused to do it. He, he, didn't, he didn't believe in marriage. 
And when, when Marx got the family nursemaid, Lenchen, pregnant behind his wife's back, and the poor girl, had, the Marx didn't pay her a penny. She was on loan from uh, Marx's wife's family. She had actually grown up as a little girl with Marx's wife. And, and Marx pinned her down be, behind his wife's back somewhere, got her pregnant. And then the child that was born, who Marx refused to acknowledge or pay a penny of child support, they named him Freddie after Friedrich, because Friedrich Engels stepped up and accepted paternity for him to save Marx's marriage. And, and Engels didn't care about his own reputation. So what if people think I had a child out of wedlock? Pah! Wow. Uh, yeah, that, they, um, blessed, blessed is he who has no family, as Marx wrote to, to Engels. That's right. That's right. Well, it brings us to our modern times where we're seeing what's going on across the country. And many people are very dis, you know, upset about it, but also kind of thrown off by it because we've never seen this sort of thing to this extent going on in, in the United States in most of our lifetimes anyway. President Trump famously said America will never be a socialist country. I'm curious what you think, the point at which we're at right now in the United States and the growing, you know, we've talked before about some of these polls, people supporting socialism, especially the younger generations. How do you feel about that assertion now? Uh, after President Trump said that, people said, that's right, America will never be a socialist country. Do you believe he's right? Boy, I don't know. I, I mean, we're very, very vulnerable because of our profound ignorance of all of this and how easily there were, there were you know, being manipulated. Uh, I, I think of the, the worst communist front group was the Reverend Harry Ward, who ran the, the Methodist Federation for Social Action. Today we would call it social justice. And he ran the American League Against War and Fascism, which, which they said, you know, of all the different front groups that were out there, this was the single most effective in duping Americans and duping clergy. Uh, I quote Manning Johnson, who was an ex-communist, and he said, we were astonished how we could take an organization with 10,000 members, and all we, all we needed was about 60 or 70 communists, and in some cases, a handful or a dozen, and we could, could completely reshape the direction of the organization. So you know, people who manipulate and lie and deceive, if they're skillful, skillful at it, if they're really good at it, if they're good with names and sloganeering, I mean, you know, who could say that? Who could say that they favor war and fascism, right? Yes. You know, the American League against war and fascism. Fascism. That's like a good good group to join. <laughs> yeah. So, so that you know, that's people are easily manipulated, and because they didn't learn any of the things that we're talking about right now in public schools or their universities, um, they're 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 very susceptible. They are. And it is terrifying to think about how ignorant many, many Christians are about this, because I'm sure the person you, uh, you know, talked about a few minutes ago saying, oh, I'm a Christian, but I can understand communism is a good idea. It's just profound ignorance. And I don't think the church can afford to be silent about it any more than the church behind the Iron Curtain could afford to not face communism, because we will get it if we don't fight it. Because, as you say, there are a lot of people who are determined to bring it to us, whether we want it or not. Well, that's right, and and you know I've met so many clergy who who are afraid to you know to to give to give sermons on say premarital sex, right? Mm. Or they're afraid to give sermons on on homosexuality or against same sex marriage, right? If somebody comes up to them at the end of at the end of the service and gives them a dirty look or is offended, but I mean, please, guys, don't be afraid to get up there and denounce communism. Yes. All right. I yes. mean. 
of all things, you ought to be able to take that one on. And, and, you know, and if somebody comes up to you at the end of the service and says, well, I happen to like Marxism, well, then, you know, that, that's too bad. <laughs> I mean, that's, I mean, come on. And, and, if, and, if, and if you do the sermon right, and you say, well, you know, but Marx, Marx said that, that you can't like Christianity. I just, you know, listen to what I just said. This is a slam dunk. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, we, if, if we can't convince people on this one, then, then, then we're pretty pathetic. You're we're right. pretty lame. You're totally right about that. we got to run, but Dr. Paul Kangor, great book, The Devil and Karl Marx. Always great to have you, Dr. Kangor. Thank you so much. Thank you, Janet. God All bless. Right. God bless you, too. And thanks for being with us on Janet Meffer Today. This hour of Janet Meffer Today has been brought to you in part by American Underdog from Lionsgate, based on the true story of championship-winning quarterback Kurt Warner. American Underdog, rated PG, in theaters everywhere, Christmas Day.